This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're now listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Two-Headed Nerd. My name is Matt Baum, and when I'm not apologizing to my buddy Joe Patrick for hurting all his girly feelings, I'm writing about and appraising comics for WorkPoint.com. I'm Joe Patrick, manager of Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. When I'm not too busy smiling, because I thought of a cute thing I saw a senior citizen do once. I am the artist and co-creator of Good Plus Online. That's my teacher. He's the DJ and I'm the talent, folks. This week, you'll hear reviews of Green Lantern 64 and Hellraiser number 1. We'll zap your collective pants in the lightning round, take a good look at next week's comics, and it's the exciting return of required reading. But yes. before we smack all that in the tuchus, let's wrap about this week's big news. Showtime is throwing their hat into the comic TV ring. It seems the home of Dexter, Weeds, and Californication has plans to adapt Image Comics' Chew into a half-hour series produced and directed by Stephen Hopkins, the man responsible for such screen gems as Predator 2, Lost in Space, and The Ghost in the Darkness. Which I loved. It was a great movie. Weirdo. Loved it. About Weirdo. the lions and they ate all the people. Hopkins was also the director of episodes of 24, Californication, and William H. Macy's new joint, Shameless. Which is really good as well. Yeah. Matt? I'm too much of a pansy to watch Dexter. Do you think Showtime can pull off a premise this grisly? I do. Let's go Let's go into the premise first. Right. Chu is a story of Detective Tony Chu, who works for the FDA yes. in the near future where bird flu has all but wiped out meat production. Chicken is outlawed. Chicken specifically. And we have underground fried chicken restaurants. Speakeasies, yes. The FDA is investigating food crimes. Tony Chu is invaluable to them because he has a special power that they call Chibopathy, which allows him to share the memories of the last thing he ate. And this applies to everything except for beets. Except for beets. And we don't know why. It's the beets are mindless. Yeah, that could be because beets are mindless. <laughs> but when the FDA comes upon a food crime where, let's say, they have a corpse and they don't know how they were killed, Tony Chu is called in to nibble on the corpse a little bit and figure out the uh, dead person's last memories. It's disgusting, and it sounds super wacky, but it's a, it's a fun book. And it's really. hilarious. Yeah, really good. Black comedy. Yeah. Super quirky, and I think Showtime is a perfect place for this. I recently started watching Californication. I love it. Shameless is also a lot of fun. I think Showtime's been really good with this sort of quirky, interesting programming, and Chew should fit right in. I love Chew. I think it's a great comic, and if... Anything lends itself to a uh, serialized TV series, it's this book. It's just too bizarre, and the story possibilities are infinite. I really hope they get Miles from Lost to play Tony Chu. Miles from Lost. The Asian guy on Lost. Miles. Oh, yeah. That huh? guy. Huh? He could talk to dead people. Yes, he could talk to dead he people. He saw dead people like Harry Joel Osment. He was made for this role. In other Hollywood news, the extended Captain America trailer featuring more footage of scrawny and brawny Chris Evans hit the web this week. Joe, what did you think? Scrawny and brawny? That's, that's brilliant <laughs> writing, right? The Captain America trailer was amazing. It really was. It was amazing. Really amazing. And I'm not ashamed to say that when it was over, my eyes were a little teared up. <laughs> I, they really were. I was like, oh, that looks good. <laughs> yeah, I have been on board with the Captain America movie from the start. I know people are hating on Chris Evans as Captain America. Oh, man, not me. But, no, he was great. Uh, he wasn't making snarky jokes. No. The things people are worried about were not present. I don't know how they did it. 
Because this isn't like a Benjamin Button thing. The it way is like they a made Benjamin Chris Button Evans, like scrawny it's little reverse tiny Benjamin guy, Button. it is so creepy. It's so creepy, and it looks so real that I. It's amazing. It like, did not look fake to me. They need Oscars for this. Yeah. This is incredible how it looks. And just like you get to see him throw the shield, which yeah. is the thing I was most worried about. I know Ooh. that sounds weird. But I wanted to and see how it would the look. shield, too. He caught it. He threw it. He deflected bullets. The Red Skull was there for half a second. Peggy Carter. Bucky. There was a weird thing that it looked like they were setting up that Bucky and Steve knew each other before they joined the army. Like, they were buddies, and Bucky got to go, and Steve didn't. I'm fine with it, because really the idea of Bucky being a stowaway, basically, in the army, and the army going, eh, that stretches the bounds of... The kid's got too much heart. We can't send him home. Like, it's fine for comics, (laughs) and I love what Brubaker has done, like, making Bucky... Wouldn't work in the The guy that did all the dirty work. Yeah. But in the terms of a movie, I'm fine with them being contemporaries instead of, you know, having the age difference. That said, Captain America trailer, amazing. I cannot wait. But starting April 23rd, coffee drinkers using the Starbucks digital network through their in-shop Wi-Fi will have unlimited and free access to the Marvel Digital Comics Library, presumably to read comics, not to download. Matt, is this the last nail in the coffin for printed comics? No. And I have a feeling that a lot of retailers are going to say yes. They're going to him and, oh, great, now how are we going to sell any trade paperbacks? When they could just go to Starbucks and read it for free. But the truth of it is, every drug dealer out there knows how this works. You go to the kid on the playground, like, hey, kid, you want to see Christmas? And you give him something free, (laughs) and the kid freaks out, and he comes back for more. This is giving him a taste, and guess what? They're going to like it. Do you want to see Christmas? Yeah, it was like an after-school special (laughs) memory, I think. No, I I think it's perfect. I think Marvel is genius here, because they're giving... People who might not normally check it out, absolutely check it out for free. And Marvel believes in their product enough to put it out there. Yes. And where are they going to go? Are they going to be like, oh, my God, I have fallen in love with the idea of digitally reading comics? No. They're going to go to the comic shop. For, for if this, they love it, they're going to go to a comic shop to get more. For this to be – for this to impact comic shops – you have to assume that people are going to just go to Starbucks every day to read for free. Right. Make <laughs> That's not going to happen. I, I do. I agree. This is a genius move on Marvel's part. While people are sitting around anyway, give them the option to sample Marvel's product yeah. at no cost. And like you said, if they love the stuff, they're going to come looking give for them, more. Give them the, um, the prompting to seek it out. Right. Good job, Marvel. Get it to the people. That's it for the big news this week. If you think we miss anything, feel free to hit us up on our Facebook page where you can find videos of Matt and I pouring scalding hot venti caramel macchiatos on our crotches in an attempt to score some court-ordered cash. That's right. Watch out, Starbucks. We're coming. <laughs> now it's time to review some comics. It came out this past Wednesday, March 23rd. Joe, what did you read this week? This week, I picked Green Lantern number 64 from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, with art by Doug Mankey, or perhaps Monkey, and an army of inkers, uh, and Randy Mayer yeah, on colors. What was up with all the inkers? I'll get to that. Okay, we'll get to it. This is part one of the War of the Green Lantern story that has been building in the Green Lantern books for forever. I don't know. <laughs> I, like, ever since Jeff Johns started writing, like... Issue one, which was the first part of the event that would lead to the event that leads to the event. (laughs) All right. Synopsis. After allying himself with the ring bearers from the other Lantern Corps, 
the Guardians of the Universe decide that Hal Jordan is more trouble than he's worth, mobilizing a contingent of Green Lanterns to apprehend him. Meanwhile, Hal and his team face off with Lissa Drack, protector of the Book of the Black, and Krona, the rogue guardian, makes his move against Oa and those tiny blue dwarves. This is another solid issue from John's and uh, Monkey. I'm still good. <laughs> Doug Monkey. I've met the man. I've eaten dinner with him, and I still got his name wrong. Nice guy. We love your work, Doug Monkey. <laughs> yeah. uh, John's is just like barreling through his sixth year. Sixth year. Yeah. As writer of the uh, just Green rolling, Lantern. absolutely rolling, yeah, on and this book. he's like no signs of slowing down. No, uh, I know we were kind of begging on it at the beginning of the review, but this book is is solid. Uh, this issue is full of huge ideas and big moments, and it's it's like Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer level action. Yeah, this is like summer blockbuster sci-fi, but without the loss of characterization that you would get in a right. movie like without the cheese ball, without... every movie they've ever made. Each of the book's characters has a singular voice, uh, which is so impressive considering that there's more than a dozen characters in this book. Uh, speaking of the other lanterns, there was a moment I really enjoyed where the other green lanterns, they stop, they come to arrest Hal, but they stop to hear his side of the story. You know, they, they don't just arrest him and run him in on the Guardians say so. You know, it, it's easy for the Guardians to look like villains and for the members of the Corps to look like patsies. And this moment, like, showed the Corps to be the honorable, like, band of brothers. Yeah, because they've really gone out of their way for the entire six years of John's runs to make the Guardians look like the worst people kind in the world. Kind of sinister. Yeah, and yeah. it's getting to the point anymore. It's, why would you work for these guys? I know. You know? But I really like that moment where the Green Lanterns are like, well, hold on. Hal has earned a chance to speak his side of the story before we just assume the worst. You know, and I really enjoyed that part of it. Mankey's art is on a whole other level. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody that's working at this high level at DC right now. Uh, he is such an amazing draftsman. He delivers consistent work every yeah, single his, issue. His lines, his shading, everything. The, the Specifically the page where uh, the book is open and Lissa Drack is rising up out of the book. And everybody, you see the backs of all their heads. and I mean, what a great panel. It's yeah. just gorgeous. And, you know, we mentioned the Army of Inkers at the beginning of the review. You can't really tell where they switch off. It's almost seamless. You have to really be paying attention. The The full and double-page spreads are amazing. That's yeah. A lot of times they seem – they can seem like – Unnecessary filler. I will say man key spreads never become gratuitous. They go beyond the panels. They take up the full piece of paper. Yeah. Like from edge to edge, I think that's astounding. That double page spread where Corona is corralling all the entities, I just, I, I loved it. And each spread like that serves to give that moment the impact it needs. You know, yeah. it's not just like... And then here's a splash page of them flying through space doing nothing. Right. Well, no. Okay. It's Corona shows up and stuff is getting real. There's a rhythm to his art. There's a rhythm to how he draws the book. And he knows perfectly when to hit you with what Johns has going on in the story with a giant just jaw-dropping picture of either something horrible or something exploding or something awesome. Like yeah. he has a perfect story. To These two together, Johns and Mankey, have a perfect rhythm. 
excellent storytelling, excellent. And the colors. I is this the best colored book on the stands? I think it might be. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say. I mean, if a book had if any book needed outstanding coloring, it would be this book. It's yeah. all about color. And Randy Mayer earns that fat colors paycheck. I do have a dark confession. I am a little tired of the Rainbow Coalition. <laughs> Well, what I'm saying is that I just feel like that this book has been on this same epic story since the build-up to Blackest Night began, and that was years ago. Yeah. You know, one story just simply bleeds right into the next, and this is labeled part one, but it really it just picks right up where the New Guardian story left off. And someone jumping onto the book at this point, they see part one on the on the cover, and they're like, ooh, I'm, now's a good time yeah, to you, jump on the Green Lantern. You can't. No. They would have... They would probably have a, a tough time keeping it all straight. And it's not that it's not compelling. I really enjoy it. It's just been so long since we've had regular Hal S. Space Cop patrolling his sector. You, you have to start at the beginning. Type when stories. people come into our shop and say, I want to read Green Lantern. Where do I start? We go, here you go. Hal Jordan Rebirth. Yeah, exactly. Start at the very beginning. Six Otherwise, years ago. This is pretty impenetrable stuff. Uh, you know, and. Now, it is worth going back and reading it all. I will absolutely, say that. Absolutely. Absolutely worth it. What I'm hoping is that this storyline kind of puts a pin in the whole War of Light thing that we've had going on for the past three-plus years, and we get back to basics, you know, Hal on some solo adventures for a while. I like the story we're getting. I'm just ready for a different kind of story. Agreed. If you like high cosmic adventure, great art, strong characterization, you have no excuse not to read this comic. Newcomers should probably be a little wary of jumping on at this particular issue. you got to start at the beginning. But you know what? Every comic is somebody's first, man. It's true. Uh, there's going to be some initial confusion, but I don't think that would get in the way of the awesome too badly. I give this a buy. I give it a buy it as well. Excellent stuff from Jeff Johns. One of the few guys at DC right now, in my opinion, that's really nailing it. Double buy it here on Green Lantern 64. Matt, why? Why do you make me read this stuff? Because you need to toughen up. You're a crybaby. You need to toughen up. I read Hellraiser number one from Boom Studios. Hellraiser number one from Boom <laughs> Studios. Written by Clive Barker and Christopher Monfet with art by Leonardo Manco. Full disclosure here, I'm a gigantic Hellraiser fan. I remember the first time I saw the first Hellraiser film back, I think I was in eighth grade, and I was the only one of my friends that absolutely loved it. I, I was instantly drawn in by the mythos so much that I read Barker's short stories and this even fell in love. so much. <laughs> I even fell in love with some of the crappy Marvel epic Hellraiser comics bad in the day. And they don't hold up, so you really don't need to revisit them. There's been plenty of Hellraiser movies and comics, but they all lacked one thing, and that was Clive Barker. So Boom Studios, in relaunching this book, went and got him and uh, brought him back to what, in my opinion, was some of his best work. Basically, what we've got is horror-themed supervillain. This is the story of the Cenobites, who are more or less supervillain. And let's be honest, unlike the other horror movies of the 80s, Hellraiser had the scariest characters by far and a really interesting developed backstory. Keep in mind there's been six Hellraiser movies, only two of which are worth watching at all, one and four. Barker had nothing to do with part four. That was actually uh, Alan Smithy's name on there. If you know anything about Hollywood, Alan Smithy's a fake name. I know. So somebody was embarrassed of that one. This issue features Pinhead, but the other two most recognizable Cenobites are there too, the Chatterbox guy and the lady with the tracheotomy. The story seems to focus on Pinhead searching for a new experience after becoming bored after years of retrieving escaped souls and torturing them. 
he finds himself in Nebraska, of all places, where we've got figures, a nasty farmer doing nasty stuff and summoning Cenobites to tear people apart. Isn't that a Janet Jackson song? <laughs> I believe so. Nasty farmer. <laughs> Who's that growing that nasty food? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I digress. Leonardo I'm Manco. So sorry. Leonardo Manco was born to draw horror comics, and I can't think of a better and more rich franchise for him to be working on right now. I love Manco's art. I love his attention to detail, along with his quick and really almost scribbled style that works very well here. You could tell he spent hours watching the original Hellraiser because this comic feels so much and looks so much like the first movie. Uh, the whole time I read this, the theme from the first movie played in my head over and over. The the writing here also brings back like that kind of cheesy 80s horror thing they were going for, which was more intelligent than like a Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, but really did come off pretty cheesy. And there is some cheesy lines here. But that's oh, what there we're... are cheesy lines. <laughs> There's some very cheesy stuff in here, but it works. This is this is over the top horror fiction, and I love it. There's a four page section where Pinhead's playing this pipe organ that forces air through screaming skinless corpses instead of pipes, and it's just so perfect. I mean, it takes us back to what I loved about Hellraiser, and it, I mean, it was the scary version of Hell. And the very, very scary bad guys. And too many times we get these really watered down versions of the devil and hell in comics. It just don't work at all. Jason Aaron's most recent version in the pages of Wolverine was just stupid, laughable. I'm sick of superheroes going to hell and beating up the devil. That is dumb. He's supposed to be the ultimate bad guy. And here we're not even dealing with the devil. We are dealing with people that work for him, the Cenobites. And when they show up, terrible stuff happens. They don't get punched in the face by Captain America. Spawn doesn't throw his cape around them and send them back to hell. They explode you with razor wire and barbs and just horrible nightmarish I'm things. I'm really worried about you. That is how the, these scary things should be. You the, want the devil to be the winner I'm in your I'm not saying I want him to be winning or I want to need the devil to win every time. What I'm saying is when things from hell show up, it should be the worst thing ever. Uh. It should be absolutely terrifying. I'm sick of, like, the watered-down devil, and it's not here. This is perfect. This is the Cenobites, and like I said, when they show up, there's no hope of escape. There's no mercy, just scary music, screaming, blood and guts, the stuff of Clive Barker's nightmares. I'm thrilled to have Hellraiser back, and I hope this series keeps up this level of quality. I'm giving it a strong buy-it for horror fans. Now, mm. that said, if you're not into horror... You're going to want to leave this one because it's pretty gnarly. It is pretty gnarly. Uh, and it's not, you know, the blood and gore doesn't bother me. Uh, I did feel a little bit punished for never having seen Hellraiser. Um, it Matt disagrees. Helps to have a background. It's but, like, I felt that they were directly addressing plot points from the movie that I, like, someone who's never seen the movie but was interested in picking up the comic. I mean, Hellraiser, those movies came out a long time ago. Long time ago. So if you saw this comic and went, oh, yeah, I'm going to give that a try. It looks good. Um, I was kind of lost in parts. Now, I will say I was also kind of lost. And they are dealing with some characters from the first movie. But there's a whole new plot being developed. All right. There definitely is. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of cheesy lines, here's a gem from uh, about halfway through the book. <laughs> uh, what is ostensibly a love scene. A ring is the one scar that you can remove. The zipper to an old skin. 
shed it. Okay. I will. I promise. But slowly, I love you too much. And for now, as long as you're my future, you can never be my past. Okay, and I'm saying Barker is guilty of this and was guilty of it in the past as well. And there is some cheese there. And you got to look past some of it. But again, he's going for this over-the-top, intelligent, Shakespearean horror experience. And it works in the package for me. Sure. Well, you know, we've established in the past that uh, I'm not exactly the right audience for this sort of thing. Uh, I'm not against it or anything. I, I give it a skim it. If you like horror, you'll probably really enjoy it. I do like horror stories. I've just – I have no connection to this property. And for me, uh, it just didn't quite trip my trigger. Ooh, oh, something we totally forgot to mention. Oh, yeah, the lock and key thing. Uh, and we need to know. And, and maybe if you guys notice this as well. And Joe pointed out, I didn't even pick it out, but there's a section where Pinhead is holding a key that leads to the pipe organ room or whatever, and it is the key. It's the key to the to the black door Pardon from black door. Joe Hill's lock and key from IDW. Some of you out there know what I'm talking about. I got out the trade paperback to volume one and confirmed it. It is exact. Well, I'm going to scan this panel. We're going to put it on our Facebook page so you guys can see it. But Joe Hill, if you're listening, or if Christopher Joe Mom, Hill, if you're listening. <laughs> Leonardo Manco, I know you're a I'm big sorry. fan. We need to know what's going on here. Uh, but yeah, I freaked out a little, so there's that. With that nonsense out of the way, that means it must be time to cling to your safety belts for dear life. While Matt and I review ten comics at breakneck speeds. I have two words for you, nerds. Lightning round! Captain America, 615.1. Uh, another point one issue from Marvel. Just kind of felt like another Captain America story to me. Not bad. I really like uh, Bright Meister's art. Brew Meister? Bright Weister? Bert Sturkster? Who we got? Buy it. Daredevil Reborn, number three. Daredevil and his Amish beard still trying to figure out what's going on in that small town. Why? Waste of time. Well, yeah. Uh, it's, like, it's like every... Kurt Russell movie from the 90s you've seen Breakdown. <laughs> Maybe there's only the one. Even just the one. Uh, but, you know. Breakdown and Breakdown 2, Breakdown 3 and 4. <laughs> uh, skim it. This should have just been Daredevil. Agreed. FF1. <sighs> yeah. Woof. Buy it. <laughs> yeah, like, I think, you know what? That's my review. Woo. Buy it. <laughs> Six Gun, number 10. Cullen Bunn, greatest name in comics. I'm calling right now. <laughs> Uh, this book is so great. Supernatural Western, a lot of crazy voodoo hoodoo. It's top-notch. Ten issues, buy it. Duh, Thor, 620.1. Uh, Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning writing this one. Unlike all the other point one issues are the same creative themes, I believe. But Abbott and Lanning on this one, super fun. Gorgeous art, by the way. Mark Brooks, yeah. Mark Brooks. I want to give this guy a job. Love it. Buy it. New Mutants, number 23. Uh, Age of X, part four. It, the Age of X train is just rolling, and it's getting super interesting. Uh, kind of a twist. Uh, it's great. I love it. Buy it. Silver Surfer number two. Still great. Loving it. Greg Pat. Uh, I didn't like this one as much. Really? I'm nah. still having fun with it, and I'm willing to see what happens next. I will say it didn't overwhelm me like issue one. Sticking with the buy. Give it. Supergirl number 62. Uh, weird. I don't know. I don't care. I wish I cared. I wish Nick Spencer was writing it. Uh, Bernard Chang's art is very pretty. Yeah, love Bernard Chang. Wish he was doing something better. 
Uh, skim it. Dokken, Dark Wolverine number seven. I don't know why this book is a guilty pleasure, but it is. I love this character. I hate his costume. I still a buy it. I, I cannot quit you, Dokken. I hate myself for liking it. It's a buy. <laughs> Osborne, number four. Oh, man. This comic is great. Uh, Norman Osborn recruiting a bunch of scary, scary supervillains that you've never heard of that were thrown into a deep, dark well and forgotten about and making his way back up to the surface to wreak havoc. I love it. It's great. Buy it. Kelly Sue DuConnick called us out on this one this week, too. That's right. We love you, Kelly Sue. Woo! And that's your lightning round, kids. Good times. Now, let's get serious and take a look at some of the comics we're excited about for the week of Wednesday. March 30th, go. You know, there are so many good books out next week, I had a really hard time picking. Uh, but it's got to be Jack of Fables number 50. It's the final issue by Matt Sturgis, Bill Willingham, art by Tony Akins and Russ Braun. This book has been a companion piece to the main Fables book for so long. 50 issues, that's a, a long run. And I'm really sad to see it go. It, it's so different from the main Fables series that it's not redundant. Everybody should check it out. If you are interested in Fables, you should be reading Jack of Fables just in time for it to go away. Matt, what do you got? Next week on the show, I'm either going to be happy Matt or severely depressed Matt because once again, we've got a new Godzilla comic book coming out that I am excited for. And unfortunately, there's not a good record for Godzilla comics out what there. Is, what about Godzilla versus Charles Barkley? Oh, <laughs> Godzilla got game. Of course there were exceptions. Uh, this is Godzilla King of the Monsters, number one from IDW, written by Eric Powell, who writes The Goon, with art by our buddy Phil Hester and inks by our close friend, who we haven't spoken to for a while. We miss him, Bruce McCorkendale. <laughs> Phil, we Yay. love that guy. I really need this comic to be good. I really do. There's not much that I love more than Godzilla, and it's going to be a heck of a challenge to write a good monthly Godzilla comic book, but I don't think it's impossible. Dude, Eric Powell can do it. And if anybody can, Eric Powell can. Those dudes who were born to make this comic, I might even read it. Fingers crossed. Here's and I don't hoping. even care about Godzilla. <laughs> it's time for the second installment of Required Reading, where you guys ask the Tuited Nerd for their nerdy suggestions. This week, Nathan, via email, writes, I love Rucka's Checkmate and Queen and Country, and I was hoping that Secret Avengers would be the Marvel equivalent, but unfortunately, I was very wrong. I checked out the first issue of Heroes for Hire, hoping to see if it would scratch that itch, but that also failed to do so. I'm currently reading Who is Jake Ellis, and that is somewhat satisfying, but are there any great espionage stories that I'm missing out on? Great question. It's a really good question. And I have the perfect answer. If you like what Rucka was doing with Checkmate, then you would love Ed Brubaker's Sleeper from Wildstorm Comics. Yes. Uh, Sleeper is the story of Holden Carver, a superpowered double agent under deep cover within a villainous organization. And when his handler gets injured and falls into a coma, Holden has no choice but to play the role of the villain because the only man that knows his true allegiance is clinging to life and can't come and pull him out of the cold. Sleeper had two 12-issue quote-unquote seasons and was recently reprinted in those two $25 volumes. Totally worth it. With art by the amazing Sean, Sean Phillips. Phillips. And he's kind of followed Brubaker on a lot of stuff. He's currently doing yeah, uh, incognito, incognito. Criminal. Exactly right. There was also a five-issue series called Point Blank, 
that was a prelude to Sleeper, but that uh, miniseries starred Grifter from Wildcats, not Holden Carver. It has also been put into trade form. I highly recommend that one as well. Yeah. Because uh, it really sets up the Sleeper universe and what happens to Holden's uh, handler, John Lynch. I would tell you maybe check out Secret Warriors that's coming out from Marvel right now. It's a little heavier on the superhero side, but there's definitely a lot of espionage stuff going on, and it also works very well as a companion piece to what they're doing in S.H.I.E.L.D. Both are written by Jonathan Hickman. Both Secret Warriors and S.H.I.E.L.D. have have been a nice companion piece to show the secret side of the Marvel Universe and how Nick Fury is operating outside of all the superhero BS with his own group of people to deal with the real threats that no one is dealing with. I think you should give him a try, especially to scratch that superhero espionage itch. But something I forgot to mention is G.I. Joe Cobra. Oh, yeah. A, a comic book about freaking Chuckles, the guy in the Hawaiian shirt. That throws the missile in the animated movie. <laughs> and you wouldn't think it to to hear me describe it, but G.I. Joe Cobra is one of the greatest spy stories I have ever read. And you should track that down. It is the Chuckles undercover story that you did not know that you wanted. there's a new trade paperback out. A brand new trade came out. should be available in your local comic shop. That's right. So, yeah, those are our recommended reading suggestions. And, Nathan, we'd love to know what you think of them. So please hit us back up and tell us what you thought. That's right. Tell us if we're crazy. Let us know that we're qualified for this job. And, of course, if you need some required reading, drop us a line on our Facebook page. Next week is the return of Ask a Nerd. So send us your questions. And if you're trying to stump Joe, the resident comic savant, make sure and mark your post or email for Matt's eyes only. Yeah, because that'll work. We want to protect his integrity. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. That's it for the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast this week. If the low thunder of this quiet storm gets your juices flowing, you can subscribe <laughs> to this podcast on iTunes. In the meantime, Joe and I will stand nude in the dark, scratching at our wrists and rocking back and forth, waiting for your reviews and star ratings. If you can't wait for next week's episode, become a fan on our Facebook page where you can submit Ask a Nerd questions, beg for required reading suggestions, or answer our question of the week, which is digital comics. Do you read them? Do you like them? Is it weird to not have that paper in front of you? And if you are reading them, what platform are you doing it on? Let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at TwoHeadedNerd. Or send an email to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. You can follow my comic speculator blog where I write about comics new and old at WorthPoint.com. And follow me on Twitter at Matt Baumstein. I'm on Twitter at JoePatrick116. Find updates to my webcomic at GoodPlusOnline.com. Or follow us on Twitter at GoodPlusOnline. So until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Cheerio!